Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk bad relationship advice using science. Science. So good. <laughs> I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of UT Southwestern Medical Center. This episode, we are going to talk about some current events in pop culture. I'm really excited. I think we're going to get a new reality show, y'all. And then we're going to break down the academic article, A Dyadic Perspective on Gratitude Sheds Light on Both Its Benefits and Its Costs. Evidence that low gratitude acts as a wink link. Very fascinating. And last but not least, of course, we're going to discuss some relationship advice, specifically about long-distance relationships. I've gotten a couple of questions about that. But before we get to all of that lovely, lovely content, how are you guys doing? What's up this week? (laughs) This last week, uh, I finalized my daughter's Halloween costume just in time for trick-or-treating. And we, yeah, we trialed it at our neighborhood event and then our school event before actually the trick-or-treating, the official real deal, the big show. She wanted to be a cheese for Halloween. And oh my gosh, I love like that. actual cheese. So well, much. specifically the cheese that mice eat, which just means it has holes in it. Um, yeah. And I, at first kind of... Um, tried to steer her away like that's not a real thing that maybe she wanted to be like <laughs> uh, counter to all good parenting advice we might give on this podcast <laughs> and she just seemed so disheartened that uh, I just decided to let it drop and she really didn't drop it so I found myself sewing a, a handmade cheese costume over the last few weeks oh my and God, I love it yeah I'm pretty proud actually um I think it came out pretty amazing, and so did she until the first neighborhood event when we went to put her in the costume when we got out of the car, and she refused to walk. Why? <laughs> and said, I'm embarrassed. Oh, <laughs> This is a weird costume to choose. <laughs> I was like, wait, so you knew all along, and also, too late. Get out there, get that candy, get a, get a move get on. That- candy yeah so that's what i spent the last few weeks doing yeah i love it so much that's awesome so i actually went to the galena halloween parade and extravaganza do you mean the second largest parade in (laughs) illinois i do mean the second largest in illinois and it was fantastic (laughs) i'm glad what did you go dressed as i was a pirate Chelsea was a baton twirler. We had such a pair. Somebody, somebody dressed up as David Bowie. Somebody dressed up as Ichabod Crane. Have any of you seen the movie Midsommar? No. The, the TV show, the BBC show. No, no it's a it's a horror film, but no. it is so so weird and so creepy and so good. Uh, but really, it really messes with you. So. I had two friends who went from char- as characters from that. Um, <laughs> Deep cuts. Yeah, it was a. Uh, there was twelve of us. We had a great time. Uh, stayed in Airbnb and had a fun weekend. So the Midwest is where it's at. Again, Apparently, from, hashtag pure Michigan. Pure Michigan money. Oh, did you just say that? Make that sweet, sweet pure Michigan money. Yes. Were there any, were there any cheese costumes though? <laughs> I don't remember any cheese costumes. I mean, that's a pretty original costume. Yeah, it lends itself to a lot of puns, though. Um, I just wondered if she was alone in your area, uh, too. One of the Provolone. best. Provolone. <laughs> Get it? Uh, oh. Uh, one of my friends you know, went. She was all alone as oh, cheap. Oh. Provolone. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. One of my friends went Freddie Mercury, though. And uh, uh, Jacob, your friends are so cool, yeah, they are really cool. That's what happens to people in the Midwest, we just become really cool. (laughs) Uh, 
And he went and sang, we went to a karaoke bar later in the evening and he sang uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and the whole bar was feeling him. So, you know, we had a good time. Good. That sounds amazing. Um, I also enjoyed in some pre-Halloween festivities. My kids had their uh, school's fall festival and I signed up. So the school, you have to have like volunteer hours uh, each year. Each year, there's a certain number. And, and if you don't reach your volunteer hours, you have to pay money to the school. <laughs> it's real intense. Oh, um, my gosh. But I learned uh, a couple years ago that for the fall festival, there's a cakewalk. And I can make a lot of pastry. Yeah, and those count oh, as, my, um, as, your volunteer. as my volunteer hours because it takes a lot of hours to do those. So... Mm-hmm. There's a cake walk and they request people to make cakes, but I think cake is a subpar dessert. So I always opt to A little snooty, a little snooty there. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, so I opted to make pies. And so I made eight pies. (laughs) Nice. Four apple, two chocolate, and two lime pies. Eight? Does that count for other people's volunteer hours also? Well, I have two kids at the school, and those are all all of our family hours for the entire year. Wow. uh, Pies. Pies, done. But um, this is a a wonderful example. My parents were up, and this is a wonderful example of um, the podcast reaching the, the masses. So we were trying to come up with, me and my husband were trying to come up with creative ways of naming the pies. And one of the pies I wanted to name, uh, life is like a box of chocolate pie. My husband okay. thought that that was too long. He thought we should just call it box of chocolate pie. And we kept going back and forth. A very important discussion. <laughs> Something very, very uh, important we were both taking way too seriously. I was hell-bent that it would be called Life is Like a Box of, of Chocolate Pie. <laughs> also, who names pies? We were named the apple pies so like um, apple of my pie. Uh, why, as American as apple pie pie. I mean, we were just going all out. Anyway, so my husband and I were going back and forth about the name things getting maybe unnecessarily heated. Um, and my daughter goes, comes in the room and goes, we're going to go with mommy's 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 pie wins. And my mom is sitting on the other side of the table. and goes, is that triangulation? And I was like, uh, huh. Yeah. Nailed, nailed it. Nice job, mom. Colin and I just started laughing. And so actually, I think my mom was the one who was triangulated, diffusing the situation because we all just laughed. Oh, triangulation, mercy. Uh, (laughs) That was funny. But it was fun. We all enjoyed um, the fall festival. They sell alcohol at this fall festival. So I got uh, probably more tipsy than I probably should have and ended up um, winning uh, winning, I use air quotes, a lot of silent auction items that I probably shouldn't have um, <laughs> won that hard. You just won your pies back? Is that I what did. happened? I did. <laughs> anyway, Christmas already done. Thank you, Paul Festival. All right, let's get to it. segment we talk about current events and all of the pop culture goodness that we see related to families and marriage. So Jacob, what do you have for us this week? I have the most insane reality television show that I have ever watched. Whoa, that's saying a lot. That includes Real Housewives of New York. That includes Project Runway and, I don't remember. Uh, America's Top Model. America's Next Top Model. Next Top Model. The Bachelor and Bachelorette, Love Island, and Bachelor in Paradise. Quick question. How are you employed? That is so much. (laughs) Uh, In Iowa in January and February, we don't do anything after 4 p.m. So you got to yeah. 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 yeah don't do it. So not really no. selling the Midwest <laughs> in the winter time. But that's no. seasonal affective disorder season. 
a lot of reality. Um, Well, Temptation Island was actually recommended to me by my friend and podcast listener, Molly. Shout out, Molly. Uh, I have just started to watch season two. And can I tell you, it is incredible. So let me tell you about the premise of this show. Please. All right. I'm putting my feet up. They take four couples who are kind of at this, what they would call like a crossroads in their relationship. They want to know if the person that they're with is the one, if this is the person that they were meant to be with forever. So the premise is testing the relationship. Yes. So listen to what happens. Okay. So the four couples go to an island and they get split up. You have, these are all straight couples. So you have the guys go to one house and the ladies go to another house. Okay. And then they introduce 12 singles. Really? Into each house. So the guy's house, they get 12 single women. And in the lady's house, they get 12 single guys. And what they do is they have them interact, have parties with, drink, hang out with these members, these single people in these houses. Oh my gosh. And then they also, each member of the couple can choose somebody to go out on a date with occasionally. And then at the end of every episode, they do what is called a bonfire, where the host of the show, whose name is Mark Wahlberg, but not the (laughs) Mark Wahlberg you're thinking of. Oh, I was like, oh, wow. No. How far we fall. Mark J. Wahlberg or something like that. (laughs) Naturally. He, He goes and he brings the four guys and he shows them clips of their partner interacting with somebody without context. Oh my God. For each episode, these couples go in there and they see their partner interact without context with these other women or men. And it's really interesting for one reason that I would want to talk about in terms of relationship advice. Okay. It's this idea that there is one and only one person that you are meant to be with Mm, and that you can find this out by putting yourself in a very precarious situation, right? A lot of these couples in this season have a history of either cheating on previous partners, cheating on this partner, or having been cheated on in the past. And their idea is that if they can go to Temptation Island and withstand this month of not being together and being tempted by attractive, beautiful people, that means they are meant to be together. Wow. So it is terrible for relationships, but wonderful television, (laughs) right? Because I think first it does illustrate this idea that there is this one and only soulmate that you are supposed to be with forever. Right. And that you can find that soulmate, which is, which is just not true. No, absolutely. There are a lot of compatible partners about out there. And second, it's this idea that a good relationship just happens, right? Right. Like if I'm supposed to be with this person, we'll just click and everything will work, right? And that means even if I'm tempted, these other relationships that may click for a little while, they, they won't be strong enough to withstand what I really have for my partner. They won't tempt me enough. And I think that's a really bad idea because... Can you imagine if you had like a couple come into your cl- your therapy room to like get couples therapy and you're like, well, why don't you go to Las Vegas for the weekend and you go hang out with all of these uh, attractive women and you go hang out with all these attractive guys and do whatever you want and see how that does for your relationship. Yeah. That's if you're tempted, bad. then that means you're not meant to be. If you happen to not be tempted in that 24 hours, that means you're meant to be forever and ever. That's not how it works. That's and a really- also, a lot of these people are coming to this island saying, I want to know for sure if this is the one for me. And I'm thinking, who taught you about relationships in a way that they said, hey, if you come, if your partner doesn't cheat on you while you're separated from them for, for 30 days, while you're putting uh, voluntarily putting yourself in a situation that would make your relationship precarious? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But can I tell you the poor decisions these people make <laughs> while on Temptation Island really, <laughs> really speak to the need for this podcast. 
<laughs> right? I mean, watching Temptation Island is a lot of fun and it will, it blows my mind what these people, what the expectations they have for their partners in terms of if you even look at another woman, you, that means you don't want to be with me. Or if you even flirt with another guy, that means you don't want to be with me. Or I think if I have try out all these connections with other people, it'll tell me a lot about this other relationship, which is really not the way to build a relationship yeah. at all. But those right? messages are, like you're saying, they're obviously have made it through our, our cultural norms to make it into this show, but it's also throughout all of the romantic comedies, any of the movies and shows. It is pervasive in our society, this idea of testing your relationship over and over again to ensure that that person loves you enough or the idea that you can't uh, find another person ever attractive. I, that's really, really fascinating. And seeing all of those kind of false norms and expectations uh, come to life on Temptation Island actually tempts me to potentially watch it. Oh. I won't, but I, I, I can get it. Also, it also reminds me of that like piece of advice that people share a lot about, like if you love someone, set them free. And if mm. they come back, they're yours for always. And if they don't come back, then they never really were yours. Mm -hmm. like, I, like as if partners are dogs. <laughs> right. Like Just like it was an injured bird and then you tried to put it back in the wild. And then <laughs> like, why would it come back if, if I had a partner that was like, you're free now, go like, go out and we'll just see what happens. I mean, it's like, an interesting measure of commitment. Like, I'm, why did you let me go? And also, why was that your decision? Right. It's yeah. very weird. On future episodes, I kind of want to do a little deep dive on each of one of these couples and talk about their attachment patterns in their relationship Let's and all it. of the triangulation and all of the craziness that happens today. But today, I just want to wanted to set the stage that says, hey, there's not one person right there for you. And relationship isn't about being able to withstand temptation. It's about building connection, communication, commitment through oh, repeated and sustained interactions. Repeated and sustained. Yeah, that don't put you in a situation where you're like, hey, how far can I get close to this line without it, without going over? Well, and I feel like I hear you saying two important messages, right? That there is not really any such thing as a soulmate. It takes a lot mm -hmm. of work and there are lots of potential partners. And second, that putting yourself in a precarious situation that is very, quote, tempting <laughs> is not a great way to test your relationship, um, which I wonder how much listener feedback we're going to get about both of those things, because I agree with both of you that those are both messages that I hear all the time that are yep. really pervasive. Yeah. So thank you, Molly, for recommending Temptation Island. Chelsea and I have loved it. And uh, I, like I said, coming pods, I will uh, take a little bit of a deep dive into each couple and their journey throughout journey. Temptation. We look forward to it. And it's, I now know it's different than Love Island, which we've already talked about first time. Oh, yeah. Deep. That'll be back next summer. Don't worry. Okay. All right. All right. Can't wait. Now we're going to move to academic deep dive segment. Today we're going to focus on gratitude. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up. And talk about a recent paper published in the Journal of Family Psychology titled, A Dyadic Perspective on Gratitude Sheds Light on Both Its Benefits and Its Costs. Evidence that low gratitude acts as a weak link. This study was done by Dr. James McNulty and Alexander Douglas. They're both psychologists at Florida State University. As always, a link to the article is available in this episode's description, and we've also shared it on the Twitter. So before we let Sarah take it all the way to super intellectualville, well, what is gratitude actually? Gratitude is feeling grateful for things uh, very, very broadly. And gratitude within relationships may function to promote the relationship by helping people identify responsiveness 
identify responsive partners and increase supportive interactions between partners. So there's some prior evidence that gratitude reported one day can predict one's own and one's partner's feeling of relationship satisfaction the next day. So thinking that there is a long-term causal association between how you feel about your relationships and how grateful or how much gratitude you have. Also, there's some evidence that close relationships may be especially satisfying when both partners demonstrate gratitude. Also, there's evidence that people report greater levels of appreciation for their partner when they perceive that their partner also appreciates them. So some thought that maybe we can grow in our gratitude if our partner is grateful. So the back and forth between partners, it sounds like um, that an individual's gratitude doesn't necessarily occur within a vacuum. It likely is dependent on the gratitude of person that they're partnered with. Very interesting. I can't wait to see what this study does. Um, Sarah, what do these specific researchers find when they look at gratitude and how did they go about doing it? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, as you just talked about, there are some different ideas about the behavior of gratitude, why it exists in couples, why and how it's important, and whether there is some dyadic process where my gratitude can grow if yours is very strong. And also maybe I can kind of carry the team across the finish line, right? If I have um, a lot of gratitude and appreciation for my partner, maybe that makes up for somebody with low gratitude. Whereas the opposite thinking would be that maybe the person with low gratitude drags the team down based on what we know broadly from relationship science that bad is stronger than good. We talked about that a few episodes ago with um, some of Gottman's research. So this, um, this team of researchers surveyed partners, husbands and wives of 120 newlywed couples who were at the start married for three or fewer months. And they surveyed them as part of a bigger study looking at romantic relationship dynamics multiple times over three years, uh, about every four months. And they looked at measures of gratitude and marital satisfaction specifically in this study to see how these variables were associated and how they intersected over time. So for this sample of 240 newlyweds, 120 couples, on average, husbands were about 32 years old and wives were a little bit younger at 30 years old. On the whole, they were mostly full-time employed or full-time students, and their average income was about 29500 per partner, and about a quarter had been married at least once before. Some also had children at baseline. So um, I think what's important to know first is that for the whole sample, both gratitude and marital satisfaction declined with time over the three years, which okay. the researchers say, and I think we might agree is probably pretty normative, meaning couples over time do tend to experience decreases in relationship satisfaction. Um, So they found that again, they found that also with the sample, um, which I think we definitely know that about marital satisfaction, that marital satisfaction tends to decline. I did not know that about gratitude though. So I don't know that they're suggesting that that's normative, but the marital satisfaction piece is, which I wanted to share kind of upfront because I think it's important context to have to think about what they then found with their sample specific to how gratitude and marital satisfaction are tied together. Mm -hmm. So um, I also think it's important to know that they measured gratitude with six questions that looked at both how people feel grateful and how they express being grateful. So questions like, I let my partner know that I value them. When my partner does something nice for me, I acknowledge it. I feel appreciation for things my partner does for me. So given what we know about the full sample and declines in marital satisfaction over time, the first thing that they found that I think is really interesting and wanted to share is that one's own gratitude and one's partner's gratitude together predicted baseline marital satisfaction. So how satisfied they were out the gate, three months or fewer of being married when they started the study, uh, how grateful I am and my partner is, both predict baseline uh, marital satisfaction. And it predicts satisfaction at the end of the study, three years later, and it predicts changes in satisfaction over time only if both partners were high in gratitude. So in other words, 
Yeah. These researchers found in their sample for this project that people in relationships where both partners were high in gratitude did not experience declines in marital satisfaction over time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So potentially a little bit of a protective effect, but yeah. only if both people were high, scored high in terms of how they felt and expressed being grateful for their partner. So, and that's interesting because it's not just you're feeling grateful, but you're also, according to the scale that you mentioned, it's not just the feeling of gratitude or feeling grateful. It's also enacting or uh, behaving, expressing, expressing expressing that gratitude as well. Not just feeling it internally, but also expressing it to to your partner. So yeah, that's those, really fascinating. And I wonder which one is in fact the driving force there. Yeah, it's a good question because they use three items from the expression of gratitude in relationships measure, which was also developed um, out of Florida State University. Um, and then three additional items about feeling gratitude. And because they averaged participants' responses across those six items, you are right. We do not know which might be the driving factor, whether feeling it or expressing it. I have a hypothesis um, that it probably is a lot about expressing it, even even because expressing it may reinforce kind of feeling it more. But first, I would agree with that. That 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 would be exactly what I would assume as well. Well, and based on the theories that they introduced, and you talked about Patricia before I started talking, um, there is some prior, there's some prior research evidence that that is linked to how I perceive my partner to be responsive to me, and that's why gratitude functions to be beneficial for relationships. Is that if I perceive my partner to be positive and responsive and expressing that positivity towards me, that's how I build additional positivity in my relationship. So on the flip side, these researchers found that gratitude was negatively associated with marital satisfaction over time and at the end of the study three years later for spouses whose partners were low in gratitude. Meaning if I am married to somebody who reports that they are not generally feeling or expressing gratitude, my own gratitude is associated with declines in marital satisfaction. So that, um, oh. and, they did, and they also didn't find any evidence that one's partner's gratitude influences one's own gratitude, meaning changes in my gratitude over time are not predicted by my partner's levels of gratitude. So what you had mentioned earlier that they had a hypothesis that I can maybe become more grateful if my partner is grateful, that change over time, whether it increased or decreased, was not predicted by my partner's levels of gratitude. So how grateful and appreciative I am is not really affected by how grateful and appreciative my partner is. It doesn't seem to kind of grow or sync with my partner's appreciation. So would you say that the, that it's just the, how you start the marriage and gratitude is linked to, or your partner starts the marriage and gratitude is linked to uh, your long-term perceptions of your relationship, not necessarily how you or your partner changes in, in, in gratitude. This, the start of gratitude seems to be what really is the predicting factor of changes in relationship satisfaction? So I think what I'm trying to say there is that changes in my gratitude are not associated with my partner's gratitude or changes in their gratitude. How grateful I am is fairly independent from how grateful my partner is. But if I am in a couple where my partner is low in gratitude, that affects my own gratitude's effects on marital satisfaction. And it affects how grateful you are, how it impacts the relationship, meaning the, the mismatch, the gratitude mismatch okay. is problematic. So if I'm partnered with somebody that's high, that's high in gratitude, very grateful, very appreciative, always kind of communicating they're valuing me over the first three years of my new marriage, I'm likely to not report declines in marital satisfaction. My, I'm fairly stable in my marital satisfaction. But if I, there's a gratitude mismatch, then there is declines over time. Um, such that even my own gratitude is negatively associated with how happy I am. I see. Cool. Well, is there anything about both partners having low gratitude? Uh, no, there was not. That's a good question. Um, there was not. It was specifically about 
couples who are both high and couples where there was a mismatch, one high, one low. And I think it's important to say, because I think I get questions a lot about like the premarital status of relationships. These findings were significant regardless of or controlling for how long they were in a relationship before marriage, which I think is interesting. Yeah. because you can imagine that at 32, potentially some of these couples could have been together for quite a while. But regardless of that, um, they found that these associations held. When I was reading this, I was thinking too, kind of back to this idea of there's no soulmates from Temptation Island, but also that there are specific things you should look for in a partner. If you're with someone and, and both of you are expressing your gratitude and appreciation, to each other, that's a good sign for the longevity of your marriage. Absolutely. Right, for the quality of your marriage, at least for, given these studies. And if you're in a relationship where uh, one of you or, or your partner is not showing gratitude for those things that you're trying to do to be thoughtful for them, that's a pretty big red flag according to this study. And I mean, I think that there's a lot of caveats there and there could be some cultural ideas about what is gratitude and how we measure it and how we define it. Yeah. I also think that it really clues into the importance of gratitude in a relationship and how it can be a protective factor in maintaining marital quality, at least in the first three years of marriage, which I think is really cool because showing gratitude is something that everybody can do, right? It's not this really difficult skill that you have to learn how to communicate effectively it's saying, thank you. I really appreciate that you did that for me. Yeah. And I think Patricia's question earlier about, is it the expression, is it the expressing of gratitude or is it the feeling grateful? I think it's a good question and it's a good point. Meaning I don't necessarily need to feel overwhelmingly like over the moon grateful for some huge thing my partner did. But I can. Especially if you feel grateful with a sarcastic at it, with sarcastic voice. <laughs> I'm yes. so grateful oh, for you putting oh, dishes. <laughs> so amazing. How did I luck out? I survived <laughs> Temptation Island. Thank goodness. I think <laughs> just really communicating the basics of like, I value you. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you did. Um, without necessarily feeling like feeling internally, it can be some of this behavior that we do to reinforce our partner's positive behaviors to support them, to show that we're responsive. I mean, I had the same take home note as Jacob that I think in newer relationships, observing for how grateful your partner is for you, how much they express their appreciation for you could be an important indicator for future happiness in your relationship, especially if you yourself are somebody that shows a lot of gratitude and, and is really appreciative. The author's reference at one point in this paper Uh, research that shows that people who are highly responsive and might fall into this category of being very relationship oriented and very kind of showing of gratitude could also be open to things like abuse or neglect that they could be taken advantage of, right? If you're in a relationship where you're super grateful and falling all over yourself to demonstrate how much you value your partner and they're just pretty hands off, um, the authors make some links to alternate research that shows that maybe it could be connected to abuse in relationships, which they did not at all. I'll look at our study, but I do think it's relevant to think about how long you want to go in a relationship where there's a distinctive mismatch and showing yeah. or talking about you valuing each other. And, and, and I that agree. the mismatch isn't just in your head. This is empirical evidence that that mismatch in gratitude actually has long-term effects on your relationship right. satisfaction. Yep. So it's yep. not just something like you think shouldn't be. It actually empirically has these long-term effects on. So yep. This is dyadic research. Yep, they looked at couples. I I also, one of my take-homes from this is really the fact that being grateful, that saying that you are grateful for things um, does have these larger implications. It does have this ripple effect where it can long-term impact your relationship. And to me, that's just another reminder, another reason to make sure that I try and feel gratitude, but also try to express that gratitude, because it's not necessarily just for me. It has these long-term, in this study, three years, that's that's a long time, uh, of facts. So ripple that, effect. Yeah, yeah, ripple effect, exactly. 
Very cool and very seasonal as well as we're entering turkey season. (laughs) (laughs) Any other take-homes, you guys? I think I would just add that the couples I work with sometimes get in this place where there's almost this fear of expressing gratitude. Mm, Yep. Because I think it gets to the point where they feel that if I tell my partner that I appreciate them, that might give them license to not do anything else or to say right. that they you know like there becomes this fear of I don't want to express this gratitude because it might come back to bite me. Well, right? and expressing not- gratitude is inherently vulnerable, right? Yeah. You're expressing your feelings, you're opening up, you're saying thank you to somebody. It's, it's vulnerable. And if you're in a relationship where you've been hurt repeatedly, being willing to be vulnerable is difficult. Yeah. And I think that Viewing gratitude as not of a way to you that doesn't mean you necessarily agree with everything the person right. does or says or thinks, right? That there becomes this fear that if I show gratitude, then they'll think that uh, you know doing the minimal is okay, right? And I think that that sometimes couples get caught in. But if you can get, you know, John Gottman in his work talks about positive sentiment override versus negative sentiment override, meaning that if you have this inertia of positive emotions, that could be gratitude, responsiveness, vulnerability, and you share that with your partner, that that is going to create this inertia of better relationship satisfaction, more connection, as opposed to these kind of more negative cycles of interaction where you're critical, hostile not appreciative and not looking for ways to support or praise or thank your partner. Right. Yeah. That positive sentiment override is also the idea that your partner does something and inherently you assume the best, um, you assume the best motive behind whatever that behavior is while negative sentiment override your, your uh, partner has does something um and you assume the worst motive behind that behavior Woo-hoo! Boo! Woo-hoo! Yeah! finally time for good or bad advice where we talk about pervasive relationship advice about friends families and romantic partners hey did your grandparents have a saying about love and marriage Did your parents give you advice about friendships or romantic relationships? Did you have a friend or romantic partner who said something about love and family that thought was maybe odd or perhaps it struck you as poignant? This is a section of the show where we talk about that advice and decide if it is good or bad. (laughs) As always, if you've heard or read some advice you want us to, to talk about, send it to us, or if you just have a topic you want us to talk about, send it on in. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775, email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at attachedpodcast. Also, feel free to visit our website, attachedpodcast.com. While you are at it, We'd greatly appreciate it if you uh, subscribe to our podcast, give us those sweet, sweet five stars, follow us on Twitter, and tell all your friends all about us. Tell, uh, tell them to, to, to kindly listen to our podcast. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's talk about the advice for today's topic is how to maintain a long distance relationship. A listener recently asked me this question, and I found a wonderful article at elephantontheroad.com called 27 Ways to Show Love in Long-Distance Relationships. Now, we're not going to go through all of these, but we're going to highlight a couple and see what our wonderful marriage and family therapists think and if it is good or bad advice. Are you guys ready? Yes. So the first one that I wanted to talk about says, order them food. Treat your significant other with a delivery of his favorite food. Maybe you can even send lunch to his workplace. That's a nice touch and shows how much you love him or her without saying it. What do you guys think? Order them food. I, I mean, I think that's a good idea. It, it shows thoughtfulness. It shows intentionality. 
It shows that you're thinking about them, even though you may not be physically close to them. Yeah. And it also shows um, uh, a commitment to doing for things for each other, even though you may not be in the same proximal space. So for me, good advice. Good advice. Uh, that advice was very gendered, was it not? Did I miss? <laughs> so gendered. I completely agree. So yeah. uh, apparently just according to this person, only men like food. They're the only ones that are hungry, I guess. So off the cuff, bad, very gendered advice. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I think that doing nice things for each other, I think we just talked about that in Academic Deep Dive, that showing that you appreciate somebody and that they matter to you is important. And food um, is like a fairly universal sign of love. So I agree. Yeah, not just for men. No indicators. It's just for men. So just <laughs> I also need food to feel sustained in life and also to feel loved. Um, so good or bad advice, Woods? Uh, yeah, okay, good advice. Okay. Yeah, I think, like, building off what you're saying, extending that to, like, other small acts of kindness, you know, it doesn't just have to be food, but, um, but I agree, good advice. Um, the next one, ask how their day was and how he is feeling. This is such an important question to make, and you should never assume your loved one is doing fine if they don't tell you otherwise. Sometimes you need to push them a little. What do you guys think? Ask how their day was. Push them a little. <laughs> Woods, that's not – go for it. Heavy heavy sighs from the, from the well, two doctors. <laughs> so um, – there, uh, it makes me think of emotionally focused couples therapy and this really important dyadic process of pursuer distancer in relationships. Can you explain uh, that just a little bit to us? Yes. What emotionally focused therapy and pursuer distancer? Oh, so emotionally focused couples therapy in brief is based on attachment theory and um, the idea that we need to learn to be emotionally present and emotionally attuned to our partners mm -hmm. and specifically for couples where there is, and this is often the case, um, a pursuer or somebody who is um, uh, often will be the person who initiates discussions and conversations, but also in conflict who will more actively pursue those discussions and maybe become emotionally more intense more quickly and their partner is more of a withdrawer or a distancer or somebody who maybe needs to process some of that emotion internally, but also will pull back and shut down during argument or conflict. That type of therapy uh, works to kind of highlight that dynamic process in couples and trying to frame that dance as really the enemy for how that couple can get along and connect to each other in order to promote them connecting more closely. So that all to say, yeah, I, good. I, I am atypically, because it, it often divides along gender lines, I'm atypically the, um, uh, I am the distancer, I am the withdrawer in my relationship, <laughs> and probably in a lot of relationships, um, which is gender atypical. I think a lot of times we see that women are more often pursuer. So I'm often the person in my own relationship that when asked how they're doing might say fine or might need more time to internally process. So when I hear you say pursue that person yeah. and really push them to answer that question because you can never just assume that they're actually fine, I get a little internally reactive that it feels like <laughs> on the receiving end of a pursuer's kind of intense um, uh, work to get me to open up. And it's yeah. just not when you're somebody who is maybe introverted or an internal processor or a distancer, sometimes you need some time to process that internally before you give some answers. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the other thing I think about these questions too, is this is really not how to get at feelings or check in with them, right? Right. I mean, how's your day isn't really about opening up a broader feeling, emotional vulnerability discussion, which I think the author is trying to get out here or saying, how are you feeling, right? I think that some, you know, it's good to say, hey, how's your day going? What's been going in? Check in with you. Just that kind of stuff can be important. But if you're talking about pushing to try to see if they're potentially 
um, avoiding a problem or they're being honest with you, which is part of the advice that she alludes to later on in that paragraph, I think that there's better ways to go about asking that question of, hey, I've noticed there's something, you know, you've seemed a little bit more distant. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Maybe my perception's off. Hey, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling like I don't really, I haven't heard from you. I don't know where you're coming from. I'm worried about this stuff. Can we talk about that? That invites more of a real conversation. Asking somebody how their day was, you know, like we do that all the time at work and it can become just this surface level. Oh, hey, how's right. your day going? Good, good. Okay, great. Well, have a good one. All right. I was also thinking if you're asking this question daily or you're engaging with your partner long distance daily, you can ask a more meaningful question. Like ideally you would know what was coming up for your partner. So you would know maybe they had an important meeting that day. So rather than asking broadly, how was your day? The hope would be that you would have knowledge of events that were going to happen that day, or maybe big events that your partner was worried about or looking forward to. And you can ask about those specific events as well. So that would also help to like narrow the focus of, of and get into that mo emotionally relevant content that I think both of you guys are, are looking forward to. Well, and two, Patricia, that is, you know, that's the definition of what you're talking about right there is John Gottman's idea of love maps, right? right. You have an understanding of what's going on in your partner's world and you're able to ask about it intentionally to continue to know and understand more about what's going on in your partner's world. Absolutely. And one day we'll have to cover love maps, I'm sure. So for me, bad advice. Do a little bit more. You can do more than just ask how somebody's day was. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm not sure if I was clear. I agree. Bad advice. <laughs> so bad advice <laughs> all around. Basically, you can do more than that. Next bit of advice. Don't forget to text good morning and good night. This is a classic and you should never skip it. Yes, here and there you can forget because you have many things on your head right on top of your head apparently, or maybe you were just too tired to text. That can happen and you shouldn't feel guilty if you do it, but have in mind that it shouldn't happen a lot. Good or bad advice. Don't forget to text good morning and good night. I think that it doesn't have to be those exact phrases, right? Good morning and good night. Like, I think, you know, it's good to kind of create rituals of connection, especially if you're long distance. Right. And maybe for some people that might be good morning and good night, but there may be other things that work for you. So I think it is, you know, to have these kind of touch points, even in relationships that are not long distance, where you're at least connecting in, in kind of a ritualized way, you know, coming home and giving your partner a kiss when you see them when they get home or doing something along those lines, I think can help build and sustain a relationship but it doesn't have to be just good morning or good night. There's a lot of other ways you could go about doing that. Uh, yeah, I bad advice out the gate. I really don't like it. Um, I think- I love it, own I, it, be it, do it. Tell us why, I'm curious. What a weird rule to set up for yourself that you're only bound to fail, right? Because when you're in a long distance right. relationship, first of all, the chances that you're even in the same time zone may or may not be the case, but- um, your good morning may be my middle of the night and please don't be texting me to check a box. Uh, I think it's a weird expectation that you're just not necessarily going to be able to follow through. And then if you're setting you and your partner up for failure, that's a confusing way to start a long distance relationship or try to maintain one. I think there's also some good research that supports the role of authenticity and genuineness in relationships. And yeah. being forced to text good morning and good night because it's some weird rule we set up that um, doesn't necessarily mean anything and doesn't necessarily, it may or may not be congruent to how I'm feeling or what I actually might need from my partner or need to be sharing with them. It seems to be really promoting a process in relationships that doesn't probably enhance closeness. Mm -hmm. And so it in all ways is contrary to any kind of science that comes up in my head just immediately. So bad advice. Yeah, sorry. All around. That was, yeah, that was pretty, pretty strong feedback. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it. Next, send videos. Pretty much every social media app has an option to censor videos. 
Instagram is my go-to when I want to do it. Have fun with that and be creative. You can do it throughout the day to show him, I'm going to add or her, your daily tasks or a long one if you're singing or being silly. So send videos, assuming that means of yourself, that is what it sounds like. <laughs> um, I Good or bad advice? I, I kind of, again, this is mixed and it's context and couple dependent, yeah. right? I know some people that if they were to get a video from their significant other, they would just be like, they're just being ridiculous. Why are they sending this to me? And other people, it would make their whole day. And so yeah. I, again, I would say find ways that are meaningful for you and your partners connect across this distance, but it doesn't have to be sending a video, right? Um, I mean, if that works for you and that, uh, that is a way that you connect and way that you are with each other, great. If not, do something else, like, yeah. you know, call each other on the phone, uh, you know, G-chat. I, I, it can be a lot of different ways to maintain that connection. We have a lot of technology that can facilitate this. So if Instagram works, you want to send videos to their DMs, do it. If, if not, don't. So, I, I mean, like, for me, this advice is more like a, yeah, it's good to find ways to connect to your partner during long right. distance. Maybe this is a good idea for you, but maybe it's not. Yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit for you, don't force it to fit. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree. I think if it is an activity that can promote intimacy and closeness, definitely go for it. And you're both on board, or even if you're not both on board, but you're open to sharing and your partner's open to receiving. That sounds like a specific kind of video you'd be sending. That wasn't like, <laughs> So I support that as well. <laughs> hey, listen, yeah, yeah, you gotta do whatever make whatever keeps the love alive. That's right. Yeah. Geographically distant, but physically close. No, that's not right. Um, but I think <laughs> I think the other reason that video could be, I mean, in terms of connecting this advice to science, I think that thinking about genuineness as well, genuineness mm -hmm. of text messages, genuineness of emails. Um, can be more challenging. You lose some of that nuance. You lose some of that, um, the tone and a lack of nonverbal cues. So video could be helpful um, in terms of promoting intimacy through having possibility of some more genuine um, observable behavior of your partner, but probably not to replace uh, as much interaction as you can have through phone conversations and uh, video conversations. Yep. So conclusion is? Oh, I mean, it's, oh, I'm, I was just going to sit on the fence. I was just going to pull a Jacob. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I think okay, I'm going to say, so yeah. there's evidence to suggest, there's evidence to suggest that when you see a picture of your partner, that it can activate attachment processes in your brain and body. So for that reason, I'm going to say good advice. Okay. Yeah, I think there's also research to suggest that it is just as promoting of pain relief to be mentalizing, to have an image in your head of your partner as it is to have your partner next to you. So I'm also going to say good advice. Okay. <laughs> good, good advice all around. Also, just a point of clarification, is mentalizing a real word? Ah, I don't think I made that up. No, I don't no, think I think that. it's a real word. Oh. New to me, oh Te teaching me, teaching me right things now. about relationships oh. and vocabulary. Thank you. Yes, mentalizing is a process by which we make sense of each other and ourselves implicitly and explicitly in terms of subjective states and mental processes. Thank you. It's a profoundly Thank social you. construct, construct in the sense that we are attentive Thank to you. the mental states of those who, Thank you. who we are with Thank physically you. or psychologically. Yeah, definitely. All of that. Uh, uh-huh. Uh -huh. She cut that out of the podcast a long time ago. Just so. <laughs> Jumped me down like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Thank you for the definition. Uh, I'm going to use it tomorrow. Uh -huh. um, next, trust your partner and let him, I'm going to add, or her, or know they. what you do. It's an amazing feeling to know that the person you love has your heart and it won't do it anything on purpose to break it. I think this is translated from another language and won't do anything on purpose to break it. 
no matter what, you know everything will be fine because you are together in each other's head and nothing and no one can break that. Trust your partner, good or bad advice. <laughs> I, I like the idea of trusting your partner. I don't like how it's described at all. <laughs> Or, or was it Patricia's weird tone? I mean, she <laughs> read that in a way that was so creepy. Sorry. It's the only way I know how to read things is creepily. No, no. The other pieces of advice were not like that. I disagree. <laughs> Sometimes I have a hard time with sentiment, and I feel it could only be said in either a creepy or sarcastic voice. Sarcastic. Maybe that's a problem with me. <laughs> It was heavy sarcasm. But I mean, we, you and I are in a long distance relationship right now. Uh, so I don't technically, I don't technically know if I could trust your interpretation of what you just read. That means our relationship is failing right now, Sarah. I'm sorry. I'm so grateful for you, though. I just, you're so fabulous. Back at you. So good or bad advice, trust your partner. Um, I think, first of all, if you're in a long, if you, I'm assuming that most people, and this could be an assumption that is wrong, that are in long-term relationships had a time where they were close together. And they had to make a discussion around what being in a long-distance relationship would look like. And so I think that, yes, to be able to do that requires trust, but so does being in a close-distance relationship. So in right. that, having trust and giving trust and being trustworthy is important to a relationship. However, right, and I also that no like that you what, said all three, Jacob, having trust, giving trust, and being trustworthy, all three are very, very important. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. go on. No, that's our, no, but I, you know, like saying, it's an amazing feeling to know that the person you love has your heart and won't do anything on purpose to break it, and that no matter what, everything will be fine. I don't, that is not trust, that is delusional, right? <laughs> <laughs> That is not the definition of trust, is that this person won't ever hurt me or won't do anything that will ever betray my trust. And everything is I always going to be fine. No, like relationships, uh, important aspects of relationships, and I would guess especially long distance, is how you repair, right? I'm not talking about, you know, maybe there are some violations of trust, uh, whether that be cheating, lying, stealing, those types of things that might be deal breakers in relationships. But at a certain level, things are going to happen throughout a course of a relationship where you're going to hurt the other person, where the other person is going to hurt you. And that doesn't mean that they don't trust you or that you're not trustworthy or that you have, you know, that you shouldn't have trusted them. It's that relationships are about growth, are about building connection through learning through the things that you've done that might hurt or erode trust from your partner and trying to build that back stronger and in a way that can be uh, an aspect of growth in your relationship, right? If trust is, is this black or white, all or nothing idea, you're just setting yourself up to be hurt and to not have a good relationship. So for me, bad advice given the how it's described. Okay, good advice in general for all relationships, but how they specifically describe it, Boo. Yeah, this isn't a good definition of trust. It is not. I agree. It's bad advice. It's no good. I think there's some research evidence that shows that long distance relationships don't necessarily struggle more with trust than geographically close proximal relationships. Um, but that some of that is contingent on how much face-to-face -face contact long distance relationships have. So that if there's no, I mean, thinking about the previous item of advice related to like video, um, use of video and uh, possibly video chat conversations, mm -hmm. that that might be an important mechanism to increase or at least maintain trust if you're long distance. But um, on the whole, I think this, I agree with Jacob, this specific piece of advice is garbage. <laughs> it's a bad advice all around. It's, it's a bad way to describe trust in terms of just giving yourself over blindly to a partner and just trusting them no matter what. Because it, to me, it really um, speaks to very problematic relationships where one person is giving all of that trust and maybe gratitude and not necessarily to somebody who's earned it. I like it. Well, 
that will do us for today. Thank you all for listening as always. Remember to call us, email us, or tweet at us about any relationship advice or topics you want us to cover. We cannot wait to talk about it. And we'll talk to you next time.